Welcome to the Fried Hartman Leadership Podcast from the Center for Excellence in Spiritual Leadership, the podcast dedicated to developing and encouraging spiritual leaders for the kingdom. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 2 of our FHU Leadership Podcast. And today I have Dr. Matt Cook uh, with us to talk about contextualization in the local congregation. Welcome, Matt. Thanks, Josh. Good to be here with you. We enjoy working uh, side by side right across from one another here in GC. So I uh, have appreciated Matt and, and what he means to me and encouraging me in my work and helping me as I've started out here at Freed Harmon over the last couple of years. Yeah, we've had some fun. You make it sound all serious, but we've had some fun along the way too, right? That's right. It, it, we need that. It's a good time to, to joke around and uh, talk about students sometimes and some of the challenges we face together. Yes. So I appreciate you being on and in today's topic, I'd like to think about this class that you're teaching on the graduate level of contextualization. And, and probably a lot of our listeners will think, what is this topic and how can this be relevant to a local church? Sure. So that's a big missions term. So I teach missions classes here. That's what my degree is in. And so you kind of think big missions words like contextualization don't have anything to do with local churches in the United States. But I think what's so cool about getting to teach missions is, and even getting these graduate students who think, oh, I have to take a missions class, is that, man, some of the big ideas and big words are so connected to what we're doing here in the United States. Um, so contextualization basically, like if I could sum it up in the simplest possible terms, means that somehow we want to be sensitive to our culture while being faithful to Scripture. All right. So most of the people listening to this podcast, I'm assuming, take the faithfulness to Scripture idea really mm -hmm. seriously. That's just a part of who we are, and we want to be faithful to Scripture Contextualization says, yeah, we can be faithful to Scripture, and at the same time, we can be faithful to Scripture and obedient to Scripture, while at the same time, relating to our culture in relevant and sensitive ways, mm -hmm. right? So that's the basic gist. In fact, like, if you want my big definition, it's contextualization is the process by which the Word of God is faithfully communicated. It's like the way we communicate it in ministry and obediently put into practice so that's usually where we stop. we got to obey it and faithfully communicate it. Mm -hmm. Contextualization says, yeah, we want to do that in constantly changing human cultures in ways that are sensitive, understandable, and meaningful to any one culture so that members of the culture may follow Jesus without leaving their culture. So when we think about it like in other contexts, it's, okay, what does Christianity look like in tribal South America or in Tokyo? It's going to look a little bit different because that's a different culture, and we believe anybody from any culture can follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. I think what we fail to do sometimes is to think about what that looks like here in the United States as our culture has changed. Really, this is a very relevant topic in thinking about uh, the church transitioning into newer times, into modern times, in terms of we, we can't be relevant in the 20, uh, 21st century if we're still practicing church techniques like we did in the 50s and 60s. Right. Just on Sunday, and it had nothing to do with this conversation or my class, but I had a, a member at, at my congregation talk about visiting their parents' church. Mm -hmm. They hadn't been since pre-COVID, and so they went to this, this church, and they said, it felt like I was stepping back in time 30 years. Mm -hmm. Now, that was not a problem with her. She's not going to not go back or not come to church, but what if somebody from our community walks in is it necessary for them to feel as if they've 
they've gone back 30 years in time? I would argue no. That's not, that's not necessary. And for the person who says, well, it's just not like it used to be. Well, what are we aiming for? Are we aiming for 1960s Christianity or are we aiming for first century Christianity? And so I think what we often mean by it's not like it used to be, it's not like it was in the 60s and 70s. I'm sorry, but that's not my concern. My concern is let's practical biblical Christianity in the year 2023. Yes. Now, what makes this all really challenging is it's, and that's my definition mentions this, it's constantly changing. This is a moving target, Mm -hmm. which means, boy, we got to be on top of things. And from a elders, deacons, ministers' perspective that, that we're targeting with our podcast here, this is a very relevant topic in terms of thinking not only the decisions they're making about mission fields, but also the decisions they're making about ministries and the overall look of the congregation at a local level. So, you know, even as you were talking there, I was thinking about even the, the architecture, the design of our church buildings often communicates something immediately when people walk in. Absolutely. That might be a good question. A simple, superficial way to start is when somebody walks in our lobby, what century or what decade does it feel like they're walking into? And does that matter in the grand scheme of eternity? No. But could it be the thing that makes a guest feel welcome or not and maybe decide to come back or not? Yeah. And so it's at least worth thinking about. And if we have the resources to update our lobby or our bathrooms just Mm -hmm. a little bit. Again, you think, who cares about a bathroom? Well, I can think of primarily there's a lot of women and children that are concerned, at least women are concerned about their children, and the the cleanliness and the look of a restroom, that Mm -hmm. matters to them. Us men tend to be a little more not as concerned about that. But it's it's more an it's more an image, isn't it? It is. It's it's more of an impression. Mm-hmm. And we get used to these things. That's right. In terms of I had a when we built a house, there were some things that I did not finish, right? And anytime you're building a house and we got used to looking at some of those things. But then someone else comes in and and they they notice that the baseboards haven't been painted. You know, they notice that there's uh, still needing to be tile around the shower. And so when a visitor comes into our congregations, they notice these things immediately. Well, this church hasn't remodeled since 1980, and their children's wing is is not secure. It's not kind of safe. And so they're thinking about these things that we need to consider. How would a first-time visitor look at this? Right. We want to be—we want at least our facilities to be inviting the same way we would want our home to be inviting. Now, can a a 100-year home be inviting? Yeah. Can a— church building that's 100 years old or older be inviting? Yeah, but it's just going to take some thought. And again, all we want we feel as if we're being faithful to Scripture, if we're meeting as God's people, right? So contextualization says, absolutely, how can we meet in a location that's, in, that's inviting to people? And that's, again, superficial, but still important yeah. to people in our culture. And what about, that's, we're talking about physical building, but let's even go a little deeper. So how does this translate into ministry? So like if we've always done a vacation Bible school because we've always done a VBS or we've always done a gospel meeting to to a year, you know, uh, because we've always done one. So how does contextualization apply to, to ministries like that? Sure. So contextualization is just asking, what is our goal here? What are we trying to accomplish and what's accomplished and what is the best way to accomplish it? So if the goal is to encourage our members and challenge them to live more faithfully to Jesus or to grow in their relationship with Jesus, then is the best answer um, four nights of, of preaching and worship services? Maybe in some context, sure. I'm not knocking 
a gospel meeting and say it's, it's not relevant in the year 2023. All we're doing is saying, what's the best way to go about? If we insist on a gospel meeting, what is the very best we can do to make this, to accomplish our goals and make this relevant to our members and potentially to guests? And there's lots of ways to do that. I mean, obviously, we got to do better with social media, mm -hmm. with our, our messaging, with our graphics, right? We don't want graphics that make it look like um, we pulled it from a, I don't know, a book from the 1980s, right? We want to make things look nice. And then I think something as simple as the words we use to describe what we're doing. And mm -hmm. I know that not everybody would agree with what I'm about to say, but, you know, Josh, I'm not, I'm not terribly concerned about that. But I think about the phrase gospel meeting. Mm -hmm. We know what that means. I grew up going to gospel meetings. I know exactly what it means. If you put out on your front sign or in the newspaper on social meeting, gospel meetings, September 20th through the 23rd, and you're hoping to reach people in your community, what does that phrase gospel meeting mean to them? Mm -hmm. Well, it, like for some people, especially as our church, as our world becomes increasingly unchurched, they have no clue what that phrase, like in fact, if they try to figure it out on their own, it's like, okay, it's one meeting and they're apparently going to talk about the gospel. When we know it's actually like a four-day series of church services mm -hmm. where we're going to sing and we're going to pray and we're going to have a sermon. And so for me, I guess I wonder if we just change the wording a little bit or at least give an explanation so people know what to expect. And I want to say things that make people want to come, right? So if I'm looking to reach people who are lost, it's probably not the phrase gospel meeting. That's probably not going to get people in the doors. Um, so I may want to think about a different way to say that and give people resources. I want to hand my members resources. I want to equip them for ministry so that they can invite their friends to something that they might want to come to. Yes. And, and I think we're, as a whole, we're pretty poor at being willing to adapt and change. And one of the things that, you know, obviously we came through COVID and but one of the things I said about that, and I and get your take on this too, is that that gave a wonderful opportunity to look at things that you had been doing and say, do we want to continue to do these? And when you're when you're adding back ministries after the the break or whatever that was, the pause, when you're adding those back, do you want to add these back? And why were we doing these in the first place? And how do we want them to look now? And if you wanted to change something, that was the that was, and I guess still is in some ways for many churches, the perfect time to change it. And, and so I think this topic is very relevant for where the church is because people have had a break of doing traditional church, whatever that meant, for, for six months, however long. And so that means they got out of the habit. So then you can replace those, and you're adding back in things. What do you want the church to look like, or what do you want it to accomplish in this? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, times of transition are probably some of the best times to think through these. We, at the congregation where I work, we moved into a new church building four years ago. We had a really old building, had updated, but it was just time for a new building. And that gave us a time to, like, reset the way our auditorium looks. Just in general, it was an opportunity to rethink the way that the order of a worship service or something like that. And I want to come back to order of mm -hmm. worship service in a little bit. Um, and then COVID, I think, is another opportunity for us. It's a transition, and so as we come back into the way we do church, it's just all contextualization is doing is asking, how can we be faithful to Scripture in our current context in the mm -hmm. best possible way? And it may be that the way we used to do it isn't the best possible yeah. way. It's not, maybe it is. It's not knocking tradition, 
This is just saying we want to do things with excellence. Well, I think one of the problems, Matt, is that we don't stop and recognize how our context is changing. We, we tend to get in our insulated island, and we think the context hasn't changed that much. But if we, if we will take our head out of the sand, and we know this, the context is changing tremendously. You know, statistics are telling us that. Uh, religiously, people are changing. Uh, all the sexual ethics issues and all the changing going on in our culture with that, our culture is changing tremendously. So we've got to realize we're not ministering to the same population, and we're not trying to reach out to the same population that we were even, even 10 years ago. It's changed tremendously. Absolutely. Just from a technological standpoint, mm -hmm. and I think COVID highlighted the fact that maybe we hadn't contextualized enough and all of a sudden we're kind of forced into, okay, what's, how are we going to share the gospel in our communities when more and more people are depending on, on the internet? So yeah, things are constantly changing. What's it going to look like five years from now? And our, do we have a structure in place from a leadership perspective? Do we have some sort of structure that allows for ongoing conversation about how we're going to adapt, mm -hmm. not change for the sake of change, but change for the, for the glory of God and the sake of the gospel. So if you were, if a, if a church brought, you know, called you up and said, All right, we're, we're looking at this, we need to be more contextual in our ministry. What are some practical things that you would just begin by saying, hey, here's some things you need to begin to look at and, and talk about for a group of elders or deacons with their ministry or even a, a local minister. What are some things that we could practically say this is what you should do? Sure. I think big picture, most places would need to start with vision and mission, right? What, mm -hmm. what are we actually trying to accomplish? And that's the big picture stuff. But I think there's a lot of like smaller issues that we don't think through that are just a, there's a, it's a way to start, right? And mm -hmm. so I've got a document that I put together a year or so ago uh, that I call um, a worship and facilities audit. Mm -hmm. And it's just a list of questions that, that asks, have we adapted in any way at all? Um, so for us, I think a simple question is, is worship led in a way that is generally positive and upbeat so that when people leave, they're encouraged and refreshed? In our culture, it's not about feel-good Christianity, but most people tend to, to want something. They don't want to be beat up when they come to church. And sometimes we got to beat people up mm -hmm. and we got to talk about repentance. But there's a lot that we can do that that's just positive. Um, this... This one's significant. You hear the word authentic a lot. Mm -hmm. And so the, the days of a, a song leader getting up and looking over the, the audience and saying, please turn to number 245, mm -hmm. 200, very rigid and um, unnatural and very formal. That worked in a previous generation. Boy, that doesn't, that turns people off in a hurry. And so are our worship leaders authentic and pers authentic, personable and natural? Mm -hmm. Right. So the, the whole preacher voice, like, you, you know, people get up front, all of a sudden their voice changes into a voice that they never use except when they're up in front of a church. That's a simple thing. And here's a tough one that I, th I think a lot of churches are growing in this. But have we learned any new songs in the past five years? Mm -hmm. How many have we learned? Are we regularly introducing new songs? Now, I know that that may anger an older member or two, but I, there are ways to work through that. And there are ways to be balanced about that. Um but that's a simple way to, to contextualize. Are we singing some new songs? Mm -hmm. And then we've already mentioned this, but I think just asking some questions about your, your facilities. Um, what century, what decades it feel like we're stepping into? What do our women's restrooms look like? What about our kids' areas? Those are some simple ones as well. 
Josh, I'll stop there. We, I could go on all day about that question, Josh. Well, I think it's, uh, I think it's a good question. You know, I might add to that, uh, evaluate. You're, you're talking about evaluating facilities, but evaluate your ministries. So we tend, to, we tend to just do them because we've always done them. So when you're planning as a group of elders or deacons and they're meeting, and, and hopefully you're doing this, you're planning sometime in the fall of the year for the next year, at least the beginning of the year for that year, you're planning, thinking about, all right, don't just put things in because we've always done them. And then once you do them, so you kind of have a mission or a vision of what we want this to be. You know, we're going to do a special day, and it's going to be about this. Or we're going to do a, a vacation Bible school, and it's going to be about this. But then after you do them, come back and evaluate and say, did we accomplish our goal? And so you're, to me, that helps with contextualization. You're, you're having an aim. So much of, I think, our church work falls back upon, we're just doing this because it's been done. Yes, that's right. Constant evaluation of ministries, of worship services, of facilities, where we just ask, what are we doing and why? And boy, that can lead to some really tough conversations mm -hmm. about something as simple as Sunday night services, mm -hmm. right? So what are we trying to accomplish here, and why are we trying to accomplish it in this way? I'm not saying you have to cut Sunday night services, but when you ask that question and maybe come to a conclusion, oh, we're just doing a repeat of Sunday morning because this is what we've always done. Mm -hmm. Boy, you got some tough things to think yeah. through and ask if you're going to continue to do it. But I think about ministries... The, Evaluating allows you to, to just ask those simple questions like, okay, is, are there ways to improve this? It can just be as simple as that. We may continue to do the same thing we've always done, but we're constantly wanting to make it the best we can. I believe that if we do everything to the glory of God, then they, those things need to be done with excellence. And I think sometimes we get, we get lazy mm -hmm. and we just do the things we've always done, and oftentimes they're not excellent. And so time prohibitions, time prohibits maybe some of our sermons being as excellent as they could be. But we're going to do the best we can with what we've got to the glory of God. And, and thinking about, we've got to think evangelistically, right? I mean, this is a missions idea. We're thinking evangelistically. We're thinking about reaching someone. And so when you think about that idea, we're not just doing this for the people who are in the pew. That's right. We're, we're thinking about doing this for the ones who aren't in the pew, so they'll feel comfortable in the pew, so they'll want to be in the pew, mm -hmm. so they'll feel like the church is relevant. Because there's so much emphasis in our world today about how the church is not relevant anymore. And we don't help. I mean, obviously, we can't. We're not saying change the message. No. But we obviously don't help that if people walk into a building and, it, and, and they, the worship service and everything feels like it was 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. And we joke about the 50s and 60s, but really... Just going back... 70s, 80s, yeah. You know, that's really more wh where we're stuck. Mm -hmm. And um, where churches can be stuck, I should say. And so I think that you've got to have these conversations, and you've got to think about <clears throat> having variety, and you've got to think about having this authenticity that you're talking about. My, and, it, and it can be a small thing, thinking about even dress. So, you know, for years I would preach in a, a suit, and, and you, the church began to change in what they're wearing. And especially on, you know, Sunday nights, my wife would encourage me, don't wear a tie. You know, you get up and preach without a tie. And it, it helps you, and her point I think was well taken, it helps you appear to the audience as more one of them. Mm -hmm. And you're not special. No one picks you out as, well, that's the preacher. Right. And, um, and so I think that's a part of this, right? Absolutely. For me, as I think about the way I 
what I wear when I preach. And I won't go into that. But for me, it's a matter of when somebody comes off the street or a guest comes in, do they feel as if they they need to leave and go find, go buy something more dressy to feel like they can mm-hmm. be a part of the church? And so for me, it is missions-oriented. Like, I'm concerned about the person who who walks in thinking about making a connection with Jesus but perhaps feels so out of place. And we might say, well, the members aren't all wearing suits and ties. Well, I want to set an atmosphere where we're respectful, and that's going to look different in different contexts, a respectful but welcoming to people who aren't dressed in a certain way. And, yeah, I won't. we won't go down the path yeah. of what well, we wear in church and why and that sort of thing. But I think those are thoughts to consider. And so, mm-hmm. so the evaluation, um, planning, uh, considering your mission for a given activity, why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. Uh, thinking about um, terminology. You Absolutely. Know, you talked about gospel meeting. You talked about your terminology. Even the, some of these tried and true terms like vacation Bible school, you know, what are you trying to accomplish by that? Is it still a vacation Bible school, or do we have other names that are more appropriate? Mm-hmm. Um, and so worship assemblies, Bible classes, all these kind of things that you're trying to think about, how can we reach uh out to our community? How can we be relevant in this world? Uh, Bible class topics, all kinds of issues like that. Seminar topics. Absolutely. I think about, I guess, just as something as simple as conversational classes versus lecture style mm -hmm. classes. I mean, we've learned that here at Freed Hardeman. The best learning occurs from an educational perspective in dialogue, not just in me standing up and, and lecturing. And people have less tolerance for that in our culture. And whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing is is your opinion. But our culture has changed. What are we going to do? Are we going to resist that and say, Mo, my Bible class is still going to be a lecture? Are we going to say, okay, I've got to adapt the way I communicate? And I think that's another big issue, right? Just communication for ministers who are listening. How are you going to communicate the gospel on a, on a weekly basis What's that going to look like? Are, have you read anything in the past 20 years about the way people listen and how that's changed? Mm-hmm. What What are you going to change? Yeah. Or are you just going to keep doing the same thing you've always done because that's what you're comfortable with? How do we use PowerPoint? Yeah. Do, we, do we still use PowerPoint like it's a uh, projector? Uh, what's, what's the old visual? <laughs> Projectors like you ride on, you know, and you stick yeah. to How sad is it we can't think of the... The term. What is the term that oh, they man. put it there? You know, the... Clear projector. Yeah, and I clear, cannot think of Transparent projector, right? Something like that? Uh, yeah, sort of. Uh, but anyways, are we still using it like that where we just put up outlines? Mm-hmm. and you know, Or are we using graphics? Are we using pictures? Are yeah. we you know, are we making and inviting before services? And so there's a lot you can do. So we're not to let we, – we won't try to keep around that 30-minute range. So a couple things here, Matt, before we go. What, what are characteristics of churches – in North America that you've seen do this well? Hmm. All right, I think they're not afraid to ask hard questions. It's it's really, some of this comes down to the elders. They're not afraid to ask hard questions. Mm-hmm. They are not afraid to question the sacred cows, the traditions of that church that they've always done. Maybe I should have said number one, they're serious about the Word of God. Mm-hmm. They're faithful to Scripture. That's that's number one. Um, but they're willing to ask, just ask the question, how can we do this better in our culture? 
they're willing to listen to the younger generation. Now, obviously, we want to, the older generation matters, but if we want to, we always complain, the younger generation's not coming to church. Okay, well, are you willing to make the changes that might make you feel a little uncomfortable? Are you willing to sing some new, more new songs, even though you don't necessarily like the new songs? If you're serious about reaching young people, and that's what's missing in your church, then I think the churches who do this well say, okay, what can we do to reach a younger generation and not isolate the older generation as well? Yeah. So they, I think these churches, these leaderships, they listen to their people. They don't get defensive when there's criticisms from either side because good leaders have to learn. You try some new things, you shift things, you're going to have to listen to your some of your older folks in your church. They're going to want to vent. Are you willing to listen to it? Some of my favorite church leaders, um, even in, in my own context, have said sometimes all it takes is just giving somebody 10 minutes, let them vent, listen, don't try to argue, don't be defensive, just listen. And once they feel heard, they're often willing to move forward and not say anything else about it. Oh, yeah, most people don't expect you to take their view totally because they understand there's a congregation full of people. They just want to be validated and heard and express that view. Uh, when you think about this idea in churches that are, are trying to do this, it's almost like you got to manage that tension, don't you? And if you're not having this tension, then, you know, elderships often, and, and we as preachers, everybody, we, we can want to have a cessation of all conflict. But you think about it, what's a cessation of all conflict? That's, that's dead. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and so really what we're saying in this is you've got to manage that tension. And if there is tension there, if there is conflict there, then that's really a good thing because you are trying to expose and push and evaluate and you're trying to manage the tension between whether it's older or younger, whether it's, you know, tr- contemporary or traditional. And, and once again, sometimes these terms have been used in a, in a, in a bad way to move people away from doctrine. Right. That's not what we're saying, but we're thinking about moving the church into 2023 and, and evangelizing and ministering to our current culture. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We haven't mentioned something as simple as a website. Yeah. Right. The website is now the front door. That's the first place. Pe- and you know what? They're probably not going to. I think we sometimes have layers and layers and layers in our websites. Most people from the community, if they're going to come to your website. They're not going to read all about your doctrine and all that kind of stuff. They want to see that. They just want to see what you look like, find out what time you meet, that kind of thing, and just see what it looks like. And if our website looks like it's from, I mean, let's face it, if it looks like it's from 10 years ago, mm-hmm. Some people are going to be like, okay, well, if they're 10 years behind on their website, what else are they behind on? And so just something as simple as making sure our website stays up to date and looks nice. We may have to spend a little bit of money to do that. Mm -hmm. But I think that's a there's an obvious and simple way to contextualize that we sometimes don't do very well. You know, you think about I don't know, Matt, if you've noticed, but McDonald's, uh, when they come in, they have these older buildings and they just come in and flatten those. (laughs) And then totally rebuild a new place right there. And I thought, why did they do that? Why didn't they just remodel? And But, you know, they totally had a new design. And, of course, they rebuild the same kind of model every different place. But I think this isn't that what they're trying to do is contextualize? Absolutely. And you look at the menu, it's changed some, but it hasn't changed a whole lot. Mm-hmm. You still get chicken nuggets and a quarter pounder at McDonald's, mm-hmm. right? Little adaptations here. But they're saying we got this, how can we offer the same services and products for the most part, but in ways that fit our mm. our 21st century context. That you order with the app, 
all the drive throughs I mean, you know, and we could go on about different restaurants, but it's all about changing with your times. And and I've seen the, um, of course, and some of this has been prompted a lot by COVID, but there's been so many changes. And we in the the church setting have to try to keep up with ministering to people, being relevant. Uh, As we kind of close out, too, let's, this comes from a mission background, and of course, so I think we'd be amiss if we did not say, how then does this apply when we're making decisions about the missions that we support? And when we go visit them, and it doesn't look exactly like it did back home, you know, what's our goal in missions? We're not just trying to transplant the same kind of church. So how, you know, let's apply this to missions and so that we don't miss that. Yeah, church isn't a banana tree. You know, if you take a banana tree from I don't even know where they grow bananas, man. Central America. And you try to plant it in Henderson, Tennessee, what's going to happen to that banana tree? Not going to grow very well. It's not going to grow, no. So the church is not like a banana tree that you can just uproot and plant in another place. We believe that the seed and message of the gospel works in any culture. And so we want to to plant the seed of the gospel in Latin America or Asia, not the seed of an American church, right? So I think the simple thing is, there's two questions I would ask. Number one, if it looks just like an American church mm. and the language is the same and the preacher looks the same and he's dressed like, if it looks just like an American church, then we probably, got, we probably have a problem. And that's happened a lot in missions. At the same, so on the other side, if you go in and things look different, then you've just got to ask some tough questions. Do I have a problem with this because of what scripture says, or do I have a problem with this because of the traditions of the way that we do church? And so it's just as simple as saying, is this about scripture or is this about what I'm comfortable with in tradition? And that creates some tough, tough questions, but we've got to ask those questions. This is a wonderful conversation though, because really this is about restoration in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's, it's about trying to go back and restore, you know, both of you, you and I both teach Acts of the Apostles, and that's what we're trying to teach in that class is, you know, we're trying to establish in a, the first century model of the apostles' doctrine, and we're trying to live that out with the unity, with the generosity, the benevolence, the evangelism that they had in the book of Acts. And what we're trying to say in this conversation is, right, go into our congregations and say, how do we live out the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament? How do we live that out in this context and and allow that to exist today? Yeah, absolutely. And you just study through the book of Acts Every sermon, what we call them sermons and acts, they all look different mm-hmm. based on the context into which Paul's, Paul's speaking to a Jewish audience in Acts chapter 13, I think, and it's a long retelling of Jewish history, or Stephen in Acts chapter 6 and 7, man, it's a long retelling of Jewish history. Boy, that looks a lot different than what Paul does in Athens in Acts chapter 17. And so the way that Paul addressed, in both of those cases, non-Christians is drastically different based on the culture, which means as we go into different contexts, the way that we communicate the gospel and even the way the church looks is going to look different. Mm -hmm. And I think scripture models contextualization for us. Oh, it does very well. And the acts and the examples you gave are wonderful examples from from how he preaches at different places Mm -hmm. to their context and taking their knowledge. You gotta you gotta begin where the person is. And I think we we have a much more biblically ignorant community today. And we cannot begin even with the assumption that they believe in God's Word or that they maybe even believe in God. And, but we have to begin where they are to try to show them the need they have for God 
and the love God has for them. Absolutely. I mean, in Peru, it was simple as simple as, hey, today we're, the sermon is from Exodus, just for example. You can find that on page mm-hmm. 25 of the Bible that's on the seat in front of you. Yeah. Right, and that's that's contextualization because you say, "Hey, turn to the book of Exodus in Peru." They're not going to be able to do that, and it's increasingly the case in our own context that if you say, "Turn to the book of Daniel," a lot of our members are going to struggle with that. And there's one of two ways to approach that. One way is to say, "Just criticize what's wrong." We're biblically illiterate, mm-hmm. or do we help people become more biblically literate by just providing some resources and putting the page number on there? And you, long enough, they may figure it out. But if we've got a consistent flow of guests in our church, you can't expect them to know where to find these books. And so we just got to be as simple as helping people find books of the Bible without fussing at them. Yeah. And and it changes the way the preacher should approach his lessons. That's right. You know, instead of just beginning in Daniel and preaching, you've got to give some quick, you know, explanation of where you're beginning at and, and what you're talking about in the book of Daniel. Absolutely. Well, we are out of time. I really appreciate uh, Matt being here with us. And let me say, one of the goals of the Center for Excellence in Spiritual Leadership is to be able to serve congregations in numerous ways. And this is a an example of that, is that if your congregation is going through an issue where you're thinking, we really need to update, we really need to contextualize our message to our community, and we would like to help, have some help with consultants or with just someone coming in and giving us some counsel or advice on this, or just talking and meeting with our leadership about this, then we'd be glad to talk to you about that and and help try to assist that. We have numerous faculty like Dr. Cook here who has been trained in that and can give give you help to assist in this, whether it's through just email or phone call or whether it's through making a visit. And so if we can help you, you can uh, feel free to contact us. We want to close out our podcast today, and thank you for listening. Let me encourage you to give us a rating. Uh, Thank you for listening to the episode of FHU Leadership Podcast. For more great content, And to learn about the services for the Center for Excellence in Spiritual Leadership, please check out www.supportingspiritualleadership.com. And until next time, remember, God uses ordinary people to lead his people into extraordinary feats.